Ever since I was a young fella, I've always loved the outdoors with that sense of adventure calling. That adventure has become my life's passion that I love to share. Hey there, I'm Paul Burt. Come with me and let me share the experiences I've learned over the years along with some pretty cool tips and tricks as we step outside. Step outside. Big hello to everybody out there. You are listening to another Step Outside podcast. Thank you very much for your time in uh, in tuning in to Spotify or iTunes on the Step Outside podcast. Now, you may have seen today on our outdoor fishing show about heading to Harvey Bay. Now, Harvey Bay is synonymous for many different things. It's an absolute amazing place, gateway to the Barrier Reef on the southern end, gateway to Kagari, I believe, or Gari, whatever it might be called. Now, Fraser Island, we'll call it. And, of course, gateway to this bloke, we are talking about Andrew Chorley from Harvey Bay Fly and Sport Fishing. He made his presence known on the TV today all about catching marlin. This guy is an absolute legend when it comes to fishing and just around all a good all-round bloke. Mate, good morning to you. How are you there, Chos? Yeah, good, mate. Good. Good to be on board. Mate, thanks very much for your time, buddy. Um, how's it going up in fantastic Harvey Bay at the moment? Yeah, it's going good. We've got blue skies for a change. We've had light winds. Yep. Uh, we just come off a little bit of a blow, but it's really, really good now, sort of 10 to 15 forecast leading into Christmas, so we're laughing. Mate, I'll tell you what, it has been a very, um, you know, a, a couple of years of turbulence and uh, and tourism dropping off. How did you cope with it, mate? Were you okay because people still wanted to go fishing, but then they weren't allowed? A lot of confusion there with uh, with boating, et cetera. How did you cope? Yeah, oh, we, we fared pretty well. That period last year was probably stung us the most in March. Oh, that March, April, May, June period, 2020, that was that did sting us a bit, but um, that government assistance certainly got us through, um, allowed us to keep our staff and um, sort of been powering on ever since, really. Just Brisbane's really saved us being three hours north of Brisbane. Mate, and the, and the beauty of that, of that three-month bit of a sabbatical, is that we'll call it that, because uh, it, it gave the fish to replenish time to get back into their schools and, and uh, become um, inundating on all of the reefs because the fishing there is some of the best I've ever experienced in the world. And we've been fortunate to, enough to fish around the, the planet a bit. But, uh, mate, I, I tell you what, I hold that place in your backyard very close to my heart because it is incredible fishery. And you've a local bloke born and bred there. You, you know every yep. unturned stone and rock and bit of sand grain. Mate, what makes it so fascinating? Why is the fishing great in Harvey Bay? Yeah, mate, yeah. So that, that overlap of northern and southern species just really brings in, like, everything from cold trout, you know, your tropical species like cold trout, Spanish mackerel, and we get those snapper, um, even kingfish. That's all those species just overlap, and it just makes this sort of fish soup on some days. Anyway, all these species all mixed in. But it's like anywhere. It can be absolutely the best fishery on the planet one day and can be hard and a tough grind. So it's it's still fishing, um, but it's pretty good. Mate, what, what styles of fishing can be done in the bay itself? I mean, uh, we've done marlin fishing as we saw today. I mean, there's a whole variety of different sorts of fish you can do from, I guess, jigging, trolling. I mean, yeah, really the list goes pretty on. Much, pretty much everything because we've even got access to blue water on the other side of Fraser Island on the eastern side. So 
you can do everything from blue marlin, you know, up to a thousand pounds through to whiting and flathead out of Harvey Bay. But I guess um, you can't do it all from a trailer boat or a 12 foot tinny, but that's just the scope that we have. Like it's just a big area and it's well protected for the majority of it and it allows you to, you know, get plenty of days on the water. Mate, as we enter towards the uh, the start of, of summer, the end of, uh, of what's that would be, spring, mate, we see a lot of marlin coming in. I mean, the marlin fishery yep. around Rooney's Point is probably you know, some of the best uh, around Australia. When it comes to size, there's a lot of smaller ones, but that allows you to have fun on the sport fishing angle, whether you're fly fishing or, or even light tackle of 6 kilo or 10 kilo plus. So... It is a, a fascinating uh, piece of water. What makes it so fascinating when it comes to marlin? What brings them into that point? Well, mostly those currents, um, you know, the East Coast current that rips down the, the outside of Fraser Island there. Mm. You get the wind and, and the currents just push in to, towards over break sea and then in, in the bay, and all those marlins will come in with it. And also, obviously, there's a population of the basically um, trapped or inside the Great Barrier Reef. So they just keep migrating south and they'll just come into Harvey Bay and it's just a big fish trap, big funnel. They all come in and then they all sort of work their way back out. And on their way out, they're going to hit, you know, the beach at Rooney's or somewhere on that northern end of Fraser Island. And it gives you a really good edge to work. And that's why they sort of congregate there. Then they're sort of travelling through. So, yeah, it's really good. Mate, on, on the show on Step Outside, we, you showed us how to rig a garfish uh, from, I think it was one of the tweed bait garfish, one of the very large seagar. Mate, that's a, yep. a, an, an amazing way of rigging a bait to skip a gar. I've never done it before, never seen it. I've seen it being done, but I've never experienced it on a boat watching it firsthand. An amazing way, but the fish isn't actually swimming. I mean, it's just scooting across the surface of the water. Yeah, yeah, just basically skipping. Um, so, yeah, just even half the time it's on its side, I guess. Mm. But that's just enough of a splash, enough of a profile to um, get, get their attention. And then, obviously, they get close to it. They can smell it. They, once they touch it, they can obviously taste it. So it, it just gets you that good, that really good hook up rate. And you can use circle hooks. Uh, the way we rig it's with a circle hook. So it gives you a good uh, release as well with hook coming out easily because usually it's in the corner of the mouth. Mate, the, uh, do you have to use the, the wax thread, anything like that? I, I noticed that's what you did with the garfish. Can you just use a circle hook and just pin it through his eyes and, and he's still going to angle that way? Or could you bribe yeah, him, could a, you bribe him with a rubber band? Yeah, rubber band, absolutely. Um, and you could just pin it through the eyes if you if the marlin are hot enough. There's no there's no reason why you couldn't. I've done it before, where I've just seen a free swimmer and I've had a circle hook, and you don't have time to do anything, so just whack through the eyes and cast it out. So wow, you could you could definitely do that. And there's other ways you can bridle them. You know, now that hook's sort of further away from the fish, and you can put a um like a soft pusher yeah. over it as well. So then it, it's popping. Uh, that's another way. That's a popular way to do it. it you know, there's a lot of different ways you can you can rig a garfish. You can also do it with a J hook, um, but we we prefer the circle hook. And um, yeah, it, it it does work well. And you can put a sinker in that arrangement that we done on the episode. You can just put a sinker under the chin, and it'll be a swimming gar. The same rig, the same way. You just add the sinker when you go underneath the chin. And all of a sudden, it's swimming like six inches under the water perfectly. Are you recommending in that situation a bean sinker, or barrel, or a ball? Well, I've done both, and both work. Okay. So sometimes a ball sinker can work um, better than a bean because it just kind of it's round and it just sits sits there. Yeah. Where a bean, I've had a couple of times fall over, 
um, to one side or the other. Um, but either, both work. Um, you just got to yeah, make sure it's not too big or too small and um, just rig it all nice and neat and tight so nothing's going to sort of move around and make it swim weird or blow out or do anything like that. But a good garfish like that tweed bait, that's the, that's the starting point. You've got to have good bait. Absolutely, because you don't want it to fall apart or it's got to be solid. And, and the bait that they've got, I've got a fortunate enough in our Step Outside studios, we've got a tweed bait freezer with a glass lid. I love it. It, it is yeah. the, mate, yeah. I'm going to tell you, it's the it's a bloody bomb, right? It's, you get up yeah. in the morning, you're thinking, oh, shit, I forgot the pillies. No, you don't. You go to your freezer. There it is. Uh, the perks of the troll, yeah. I'm going to say. But, mate, the uh, the garfish I got delivered there a couple of weeks ago, mate, they're, they're solid. You know, they're sort of like a 12-inch long garfish. They're, they're really fat they're thick they're they're solid they're really hard a good firm flesh on them they're not yep. soft and they're not marked they're not black um they're, they're a sensationally colored straight out of the ocean sort of a seagar so uh yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Th- that's the sort of thing i guess well and you've got to look after them too like you can buy the best gars mm. like that tweed bait but if you don't look after it once you've bought it yeah. it's still going to be no good to you down the track you got to make sure you yeah. you know keep it keep it cold keep it frozen as long as you can yeah. Keep it on, you know, ice down in the esky, and also you can salt it down as well. I've gotten three or four days out of those gars freezing and defrosting just by salting them down and looking after them. Yeah. Um, and it just firms them up that little bit. So, mm. yeah, the main thing you've got to look after your bait, even though it could be the best bait you can buy, it won't stay that way if you don't look after it. I had a bloke I remember he's uh, hit us up there and he said, "Oh, the the prawns I bought were all black." You know, after I went fishing and they went black heads. And I said, "Well, mate, it's simple because you've got to look after bait preservation. If you don't look yeah, after exactly. it, you're 100 percent right. I mean, leaving bait out, particularly prawns, in the sun in a bucket at the you know <laughs> throughout the day, they're not going to last. A steak's nah. going to go off, sausages are going to go off, all meat will go off in the sun. So you know, yeah, reality right. is you've got to keep it cold, keep it in shade, keep it cool." And uh, and you'll find yep. it'll it'll and only take out what you need. Like with your garries, you, uh, you only might need one or two to start with. Don't pull out and defrost five or six. And you know if you're not nah, salting right. them down, look after. Yeah, them. yeah, yeah. Mate, yeah, and then having a having a uh, designated bait esky is a good idea too. Yeah, you're not opening and closing it, getting drinks out all the time, and all that sort of thing. And I find I've done that for other styles of fishing where I've needed bait, and if I don't use it, yeah. it's still frozen when I get home. Yeah, that's perfect. And it's not cheap. You know, good bait does cost a lot of money, so it's always good to look yeah. after what, you, what you've got there. Mate, on your Harvey Bay Fly and Sport Fishing Charter Boat, okay, I know you've got the fantastic new contender there, an amazing rig, um, and you've got your other uh, American boat. What's that other one you're running? Oh, we've actually got other, uh, we've got a Fusion, which is South fusion. African. Yes. Oh, okay. um, and we've got, yeah, yeah, that's a South African boat, and we've got some hookers, which are Australian-built. Yeah, um, boats up in Cairns. So yeah, we've got a, you know, we've all got most of them got Yamahas on them, and um, yep. yeah, you know, they're they're basically what we can find that does a job for us. Mm. That uh, is built to um, what we call survey in the in the charter charter games. So going to be be built to a, a different standard to your normal boat you might buy down the, down the road. Yeah, safety factors number one and paramount, mate. What about um, the gear that you run on your charter vessels? Are you are you using more overhead or spin? I use spin. Because of the uh, client base that I have, a lot of them haven't picked up overhead. Yep. Um, unless you're a game fisherman or you've done a lot of offshore fishing, you probably haven't used many overheads. Right. So that's the reason I we use spinning reels. But if I was doing it myself, I'd probably run an overhead because you've got more line capacity, and you can you know you can set the drag better and all those things. You can preset your drags and and all that sort of stuff. So 
if you want to get super technical, you'd be using overhead equipment, but your, your snap outfit, whatever you have that's six to 8,000 size will do the job. And that's the thing, because the fish, I mean, uh, we, we notice a few of the fish there, a lot of them around that sort of, you know, I guess, 15 kilo mark. Then you got the bigger ones. And some up there were pushing much bigger than that that we hooked on to. I, I think a couple well over the 20, 25 kilo mark easily, yeah. 30 even. Yep. Like, do you see yep. any of the bigger boys coming in close? I mean, you know, 50 kilo plus fish coming in close there as well? We have. Yeah, generally in this, this time, like a bit later in the season, um, heading towards Christmas, obviously – they grow that quick that they're just bigger because it's later in the season. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we, we've seen them up to probably nearly 70 kilos. Um, yeah, Peter Fry, one of my guides, got one who's going back a little while now, probably yeah. uh, over t- over 10 years ago. Yeah. And it would have been, yeah, 60 to 70. It was a big fish, like really big fish. Um, and I've hooked one around the same size. And Peter also, he seems to be the master of the big ones. He got one last season around 50. Yeah, nice. Um, yeah, and that's a huge fish compared to our little 15, 20 kilo ones. I like the little ones. They're easy to they're easier to get in, but they're a hell of a lot of fun, particularly on fly as well. Oh, yeah. You know, they're just perfect size for a fly rod. Mm. Perfect size. Mate, do you prefer mono or braid on your reels when you're fishing for, for smaller black marlin or just in fishing in general? Well, general fishing, obviously I'm using braid like most people yeah um but when it comes to um uh, the marlin um or any billfish that's jumping around i do like to use mono just for that stretch so you've got that tension constant tension all the time um and puts that nice big belly in the water so that keeps you tight uh, and you and you sort of forget that for people that used to use mono and then have gone to braid and haven't used mono for so long you forget how much stretch is in it and how much that belly you get. <laughs> Especially when you use it for three months a year like I do. And, yeah, you um, you get a bit of a shock sometimes when you see how much stretch is in it. You, you do. I, I remember using an LV a little while ago and uh, it was it had uh, monofilament on it. And, oh, my God. Like, it, it mate, I, we're fishing in about 120 metres, metres of water for pearlies. And mm. I, I think I had quarter of a kilometre line out because of the, the current – and the belly, and you could still <laughs> you could still feel, but geez, it wasn't braid, it wasn't oh, braid, you know. Oh my goodness, it was really tough. You'd have to watch the the rod tip. Yeah, you really had to feel what was going on, concentrate. If someone talked to you, you'd miss the bite. Someone yep. said, "Oh, have a look at that over there at the whale or whatever." You think you've missed your bite. So you just <laughs> it's a lot of quietness uh, in fishing when you're using mono in in deep water, mate. Um, with the lead up, do you prefer supple or tough? leader well i kind of use um i guess it's a little bit tough i do use a bit of fluorocarbon um and the tougher leaders because they do they do you know chafe your leader up so you don't want something that's super soft yeah um maybe with your circle hooks something a little bit subtle i have dropped down to like 60 pound just to figure out why i wasn't sort of i was missing a few yeah um that did help a little bit a little bit less less they can feel um, because all it takes when you're using a circle when you're dropping it back um, if they have that line touch their bill yep they get they just jump straight away and then you're pretty much you're done um, because the hook won't set or it won't be where it needs to be yeah so it can be it can be frustrating sometimes on the circle especially when they're real sort of erratic and a bit crazy but that's where I think even mono with the circle hooks comes into its own a bit because they don't have they don't feel all that as much 
Because yeah. we can feel so much with the braid. The fish has got to, it's got to work on the opposite end. So the mono can be a bit of a, a really good advantage on that front too. Mate, um, rod length and why? Why do you need to go a, a shorter or taller rod in this situation when you're when you're towing your boats? Well, yeah, a lot of a lot of um, a lot of game rods were shorter just for that uh, for the fight, I guess, and just you not know, have this big lever pulling you over the side. Um, but I like I just use my standard seven foot spin rods. Yep. That's all I use. Um, just they're, because well, they're the, grappler? it's interchangeable. Right? Yeah, grapplers, yeah. sure, Shimano stuff. Yeah. Um, and there's some anthems in there, and we even use Terezas, which we use on you know our snapper. We even use those at times. But I've been using the grapplers and the anthems, and going up to an eight thousand reel for the line capacity. Yep. Um, but the main reason I'm using those rods because they're interchangeable with our other fishing. So once the the little marlin season's done. I pull the mono off those reels and they just become a, a generic, you know, soft plastic rod or stick bait rod or whatever we're doing with it. So, Mate, you, um, what about your drag settings if you're, you know, running braid? I mean, the age old yeah. question that a lot of people ask do you back the drag off on braid because there's, there's no stretch that you could pull the hook out of the fish's head a bit quicker or do you sort of yeah. keep it tensioned up? I don't know. I don't use heavy drags at all, really, for my for the little ones. I just sort of, I might probably. Like they say, you know, a third of the the breaking strain. I'm definitely not using a third of the breaking strain on the braid. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just like a firm drag, so not you know not locked up, but not not super loose. Just just there, they can pull line because I, I want them to run. Yeah. Um, to, you know, to get the hook in and get them away from the boat and just settle every, get clear the gear and just settle everything down, and then we just basically turn around and and go. I say go and pick them up, and you know get close to them and try to tag them. So. <laughs> Mate, yeah, that's, that's the reason. Mate, the fishing up there is, is phenomenal for marlin. Uh, but also we see as the marlin taper off as we're heading towards Christmas, early New Year, we see a change of guard with mackerel and your long-tailed tuna and all that coming through. Mate, yep. do you see those in large abundance? I remember years ago the ring netters that came through really put a lot of pressure onto the schools of fish and that played havoc into the schooling of those fish further down the coast as they migrated south. But since that all stopped, the fishing has been phenomenal. Have you seen a really good return? Yeah, it's not too bad. It's pretty good, but it's like everything. The bait's not uh, like what it was. So we don't get the bait balls like you did 20 years ago. So that's nothing to do with the fish population. That's some other factor, environmental or climate change or whatever it may be. Mm. So... I guess you don't you do and you don't like it's still good for for what it is. It's really good, um, especially the spotties. They ball the bait up. There's hundreds of them in a school. It's visual. It's, it is really really good. But once they leave the bay, you get a little bit that off, bit of that sort of stuff off from the little bar. But it's either the bait doesn't like it down further south or what. But the spotties seem to go deep once they get to the Gold Coast. They do. Um, yeah, which is I'm not sure. It must be the way the bait is. Different bait feed on bigger bait. It's kind of um, it's kind of weird with the. Uh, I noticed I spent a bit of time down at Iluka and fishing out of Woody Head for the mackerel, and you'd pull such a simple rig. It was just a pink skirt, just a standard old pink octopus skirt, and you'd have a bean sinker jammed in its head, and you'd run some trebles or a um, or a gang hook behind it, bit of wire, yep. and mate, you, you'd have to sit outside the lineup because when you got out there, all the local boys would be doing a, a lap, and they'd be going clockwise. <laughs> and you, and if you went anti-clockwise, mate, you, you'd get run over, and they'd they'd beat you to, <laughs> beat you to a pulp with a gaff hook, right? These these all these black marketers, 
<laughs> but down, I do know that that they would be running at like 12, 14 knots and hooking up to spotties that were like Spanish mackerel. They're like eight kilos, mm. big spotties. Big ones. Yeah, big ones. But yeah. if you towed like that around the Gold Coast, it, it just doesn't work. It doesn't mm. for some mm. reason. And you don't get those big fish. What about up there? What's your target sort of, you know, way of, of hitting the uh, the spotties in Harvey Bay? Well, we cast for them mostly. So we're casting metals. Okay. 40 gram, 25 gram sort of metal. So you see the bait ball, you see the birds, you just pull up and cast like you wouldn't at a school of tuna. Um, that's, our, that's our general way of catching them. But occasionally, like I had the other day, uh, being really ultra fussy. So I actually just put the metal um, lures out, you know, like your raiders or whatever yeah. you may be using. Yeah. Put them out and just trolled them um, and got the bites that way. But that's not how we do it all the time. But Sometimes that that works, and and you do get them trolling. But generally, it's casting. That's that's the main the main way we get them. Do you put do you put wire on front of your lure? I don't know because because we're casting, you do, you're still going to lose a few metals, and if they're really biting the heads off, you can't yeah. get away with wire. Yep. I just find that it does make it that little bit harder for you to get hookups with wire. They just shy off it a bit. What pound lead is preferable for you? Uh, 30, I use thirty fluorocarbon. That's all I use. Um, for basically almost everything, yep, and it's it's fine. You can still lift. Our spotties are only they're smaller models than what you get. They only get up to about eighty centimeters, at, or maybe ninety. It's a really big one. Yeah, okay. Um, so they're generally between sixty-five and eighty. Yep. Um, and you can lift them in on thirty pounds. You don't even need a gaff like that. No. They're um, you know, probably four kilo fish. So, uh, yeah. So that's that's what I use, and it seems to work. What about the long-tailed tuna? When do they start to make a move? Yeah, they'll be they'll be starting to kick it. They're here all year round in different ways, but yeah. the big migration will start in February, basically. Um, February, usually I always say when the first low-pressure system comes in close to the coast, the long-tails will turn up. And that, that, that doesn't have to be here. That could be you know, Mackay yeah. or Cairns or wherever yeah, that low okay. pressure comes in. It just seems yep. to be around that time. So yep. that's that's usually February. Um, that's when they usually sort of start turning up and then they just get thicker right through to about May. Mate, it's an absolute pleasure to talk to you there, Chos. And, uh, mate, I'm going to leave it at that because I'm sure the people out there who have been listening have got to have their mouth watering now. They're sitting back on their on their iPad or their phones or whatever and looking at dates because you've got to book in advance. Now, how how heavily booked are you further afield, mate? Oh, we're pretty good next year. It's just that, you know, the school holiday period's always got to get in early. Yeah. Um, outside of that, we've got five guides um, operating, five five vessels, so we're, we're pretty good on uh, bookings, but certainly it's not somewhere you can pick up the phone and go tomorrow. You do have to think a couple of weeks ahead generally. Absolutely, mate. Hey, Chos, thank you very much, mate. Give us your details, website address, so people can check you out. Yeah, mate. So website's harveybaysportfishing.com.au. Instagram's Harvey Bay Sportfishing, and uh, you can catch us there. Very easy to do, mate. Hey, thanks very much for your time there, Chos. Always a pleasure to talk to you, buddy. Thanks for joining us on the Step Outside podcast today. No worries, mate. A pleasure as always. Thank thanks, you, mate. mate. Thank you. There you had everybody. That's uh, Andrew Chos at Chorley. A local fella from Harvey Bay who's done us all proud. I tell you what, you want to go up there and you want to experience some of the best fishing on the planet. And and I'm serious when I say that because we've we've fished around the place a lot and been, I guess, very grateful of what we've had. Never taken it for granted, of course. We work hard to do it. 
But when you come back and you go to an area, you know when someone's got their finger on the pulse of knowledge and you just sit back and you, you watch, you know. And I'll tell you what, this bloke is pretty hard to beat. So do yourselves a favour, and when you are coming up to Queensland, for heaven's sake, borders are open. Come on up. Everyone else is. Enjoy yourselves. Go to Harvey Bay. It's only a couple of hours north of Brisbane. And, of course, from the Goldie, you're looking about a four-hour drive, which is lovely. Some nice golden nuggets. Stop at the highway truck stop, the golden nugget, grab yourself a pie. Okay? And uh, from there, that'll break your trip up and then get up into Harvey Bay through Maryborough, Harvey Bay, Yurangan, and you'll be able to catch up the Chos there at the famous Yurangan Harbour. Well, that's it for another podcast, everyone. Hope you enjoyed today. And we'll see you, of course, uh, next week on Step Outside with Paul Burt on 7 Mate. And if you want to catch up on any last episodes, jump on 7 Plus, the app, or you can see it on 7 Mate every morning from 5am through to 6am. It's a double backer, one and then the next. So that means you're catching us 14 times a week. Have yourself a great day, everyone, and may your rod bend often. Ever since I was a young fella, I've always loved the outdoors with that sense of adventure calling. That adventure has become my life's passion that I love to share. Hey there, I'm Paul Burt. Come with me and let me share the experiences I've learned over the years, along with some pretty cool tips and tricks as we step outside. Step outside.